we welcome Bishop Jackie with a round of applause? Thank you very much. We're sort of doing the day to night vibe here, and now I can't fully see you, but it is great to be here. Um, so my name is Jackie Searle. I am the Bishop of Crediton. I live in Tiverton, and I'm one of three bishops in the Diocese of Bishop Acting, which is basically all of Devon. Um, I'm about to become Bishop of Exeter because our Bishop of Exeter is about to retire. Um, do I get backfill for the Bishop of Crediton? No. Uh, so I am the Bishop of Exeter and Crediton uh, for the coming year. But I'm also, part of my role is to be um, Bishop's, the, the visitor um, here at Exeter Network Church. And that means that I support you, I pray for you, I occasionally come and meet and find what's going on. And uh, it's a real delight to be here to preach. Do not be conformed, this is our verse tonight, verse 2 of chapter 12 in Romans. Do not be conformed to this world or age, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. This passage is very often read at confirmation services. So one of the real privileges of being a bishop is that I get to take services of confirmation, often baptism and confirmation together. And confirmation is where people, quite often young people, but sometimes and increasingly older people too, are confirming promises that were made for them if they were baptized or christened when they were babies. So um, in the past, a lot of people were christened and baptized as babies. That's less so now. So we have more adult baptism, sometimes at the sea, sometimes um, in our churches. But the reason that we have this reading quite often is because it's headed in my Bible, the new life in Christ. So it is a really good reading to have for those who are like making their public declaration, I'm going to follow Christ, and they're doing that in a service of confirmation. And it's a way of setting out in this reading what it is to live a Christian life. What is it that we are called to? So whether you are thinking about the Christian faith, new to Christian faith, or you've been a Christian all of your life, this is a kind of message for you about what is the essential in following Christ in this new life in Christ. A kind of mission statement, if you like, about how to live, be, think, and act as a follower of Jesus and as a member of his church. So you started last week, verse one, with bodies. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. This week, we come to minds in verse two. Be transformed by the renewal of your minds. Although we've separated them for this sermon series, we must be very careful to hold these two verses together because St. Paul would have no concept of separating out mind and body. We are, human beings are, complete whole people. And in Western culture and in Western thinking, what has often happened is that minds have been thought to be on a higher plane. You, can, you do everything with your mind, bodies don't really matter. And actually that is such an unhelpful and uh, wrong theology. We are whole people, body, mind, soul, and spirit. 
And we've been singing about that um, in our songs this evening. I love that we had um, you know, mention of, of dancing and that we're worshipping with our minds, with bodies, and with our heart and soul. So St. Paul here in this letter to the Romans and in many other places is seeing us as the whole people, body, mind, and spirit, and there's no separation. Now, if you know your Bibles well, you might be thinking, ah, yes, but, Bishop Jackie, there are places in the New Testament where St. Paul writes and says, um, these are the things of the flesh, and these are the things of the spirit. So maybe St. Paul does separate out flesh and spirit. So I'm going to give you a bit of Greek now. Any, Any Greek students or scholars among us, just before I show my ignorance? No, good, we're fine. So, um, so here in Romans chapter 12, the word for body is soma. That is the Greek word, and it means your literal physical body. And when the passage goes on, St. Paul uses that word to explain this is what the church is like. You are one body with many parts. It's that holier thing that that's what it is. Where he writes in other letters about flesh and spirit. The word that we translate flesh is the Greek word sarks. And that's quite a difficult word to translate into English. And um, what it really means is the sinful nature. It doesn't mean our body, our flesh and blood body. It means it's a, a kind of code for us, the sinful nature, as opposed to the spiritual nature, our lives in God. So I hope that's really clear because St. Paul would not want us to think that our minds are somehow on a higher plane or separated. We are whole people. You're going to come to think about the body a bit later, aren't you, in this series? Um, And depending on how far we get tonight, I guess that could be in quite a few (laughs) weeks' time. But you will come on to look at that together. One other bit of background... Uh, just to give, is about Rome and the Roman church to which St. Paul was writing. He wrote this letter to the Romans, we think, in about the mid-50s, AD 54-55. So this was about 20 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. It was about the time that Nero became the emperor of Rome, Um, Nero is one of those emperors that even if we've not studied history, we tend to have heard about because he was a brutal emperor. Uh, He was a tyrant, and he particularly liked to persecute Christians. And it was also, at that time, the church in Rome was made up of Jewish believers and Gentile believers, but they were very much in a minority. The Roman... um, The Roman culture, if you like, was that pagan Roman uh, understanding of life. But there were a growing number of Christians, and they were both Jewish Christians and they were Gentile Christians. So this letter is addressed to that community, and it's particularly addressing the tensions that there were between the Jewish believers and the Gentile believers. On the one hand, The Jewish believers came from a tradition of conforming to the law. The Gentile believers, on the other hand, came from a heritage of no conforming to anything at all. 
So there is a real need to address the differences between them, but also what does it mean then to be a good community, a flourishing community, a place um, that has a moral core and heart? And if you think that conflict in the church only happens in our time, uh, and there is conflict um, in the church, then you would be wrong because in every generation of church life there have been large decisions to be made. There have been conflicts and tensions. And um, we have our own in our age, and they had their own then. And in particular, the big one at the time was this one between Jew and Gentile. That was the big issue which St. Paul and others were often writing to address. But remember that it's being played out in this minority and vulnerable context and culture. So having said that, we're going to focus now on verse 2. This verse which is about discerning God's will, a question that spans across ages and cultures and is as relevant to us today as it was then. But it starts with this phrase, do not be conformed to this world. Or if you're looking at your Bible, you might have a little footnote that says age. And I think age is a better translation. Do not be conformed to this age. The Greek word there is eon, and you may know that word because we'll say, oh, it happened eons ago, ages ago. So here are some other translations of this phrase, and I wonder how they sound to you. So here's one commentator. They translate it as this. Do not adopt the external and fleeting fashion of this world. And what I particularly want to say about that one is about external. We're conforming to something external. So you might want to think about that. Another one, this is Tom Wright. Don't let yourselves be squeezed into the shape dictated by this current age. So that's quite a visual image, being squeezed into a mold or a shape that is not yours that kind of belongs somehow in the culture and you're being pressured into it. And here's another one. This is the message. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. So the point with culture is that we don't often notice the culture that we are in at all until something changes and we go somewhere else or enter a different kind of culture because we're just used to the culture that we are in. And the simplest definition of culture that I know is the way we do things round here. The way we do things round here. So if you're new to a culture, you can keep tripping over things and think, oh, hang on, why, why are they doing it like that? Or why, why, I just feel like I've got something wrong there, but I don't quite know what it was. Uh, we have two sons. They're both in their um, 20s. And one, the eldest, got married just three weeks ago, and the other one is getting married next year. And when they first started going out with Leona and with Kate, they then entered a different family. Some of you may have had this experience. 
So they thought that the way our family did things was just completely normal. They had no idea <laughs> how weird a vicarage family really is. And um, so they, they then entered and were welcomed in, I have to say, were welcomed into these other families who do things differently. Uh, so, for example, in Leona's family, they have Yorkshire puddings every Sunday lunch. It's like, why can't we? Have Yorkshire, yes, clap. Why can't we have Yorkshire puddings every Sunday lunch? If you get lunch on a Sunday at all in a vicarage family, it's a great bonus. And then they would come to us. And it was like, oh, what is this thing? You say grace before every meal. That's a very odd thing. And then gradually you just get used to it because you get used to another culture. Oh, yes, this is normal. We have Yorkshire puddings. Oh, yes, they say grace. We say amen. This is fine. Do you see what I mean? You, you don't necessarily know what your culture is until you get some experience of another culture. In terms of church, every single church that I have ever known anywhere at all believes it is a friendly church. Absolutely every church, everywhere, through all time. And people believe that their church is a friendly church because they go to their church and they get to know people. So it is for them a friendly church because you go and you meet with your friends. But the only way you can really know if your church is a friendly church is to ask somebody who's come new for the first time. Well, how was it? How did you feel that we were a friendly church? Well, no, because nobody spoke to me. Um, at all. And I stood by the coffee for a long time and nobody came over to speak to me. So no, you are not a friendly church if that is what happens. We often need to ask people who are kind of outside of our immediate culture to know what it is. And I think when St. Paul is writing about not being conformed to a culture, I want you to think we were praying earlier about your patch. That's another way of saying, what's, what's your patch? What's the area that you kind of swim in or spend, spend your time in? And what is the culture of that place? And so often, we don't know it until we kind of step out of it. So I'm going to tell you a story about when I was a vicar in Derby and um, had a lovely church made up of people of all ages and all kinds of people. And one Sunday at the communion service, we had communion rail and people would come and kneel all round the rail. And there was a, a young woman called Laura with two young children and she'd not been coming to the church all that long, but I knew that God was working in her. And she came to the rail to receive communion and as I gave her communion, I realized that she was crying. She had her boys with her. We prayed for them. And at the end, so I knew I wanted to seek her out at the end of the service, so I just went and had a word with her. How are you doing? And, um, and she just poured out how much um, church had come to mean to her, that she was discovering her faith that she'd had as a child and was, uh, was kind of coming back to, um, and how her children were settling in the Sunday school, just how precious this community uh, and her faith were becoming. But, and she was a teacher, so this is a good story for Education Sunday, but she said, I am a teacher, and 
if I'm in that staff room on Monday morning and people say to me, what do you do at the weekend? I just can't tell them that I went to church. I just can't tell them. So I said, help me understand that a bit more. What is it? She said, I feel it would be professional suicide. So this quite shocked me, I have to say. It was obviously not a church school, just hasten to add Phil sitting in the front row. And it made me realize that as a, as a vicar, I had to do more to help people translate what we did on a Sunday into what they were doing on a Monday. And I wanted her to know more than anything else that your faith stands up intellectually. It doesn't just stand up spiritually, which it does stand up spiritually. It doesn't just stand up in terms of meeting our, our needs and God's healing and those things that we know are so precious in our faith. But it does stand up intellectually. It really does. And I thought, I need to help my people understand that they can stand there in that staff room or wherever they find themselves on a Monday morning, in that school classroom, whatever it is, and know that their faith is something that they can talk about with integrity and to be confident in it. So it sparked off a whole sermon series, in fact, um, that, that we did, um, so that she could begin to share her faith in school. But part of that was the culture in that school, and we find a lot of this, I'm sure you'll be able to resonate in our society, where somehow Christianity and church has become associated with things that we would not recognize as our faith, and where people make assumptions, uh, therefore, if you say, if you put your hand up and say, well, I am a Christian, and it occurs to me that Education Sunday is the perfect time to say, do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewal of your minds. And you strike me as people, all of you, who have got good minds. So use those minds. Do your theology. Who knows? Maybe you think, oh, well, if Bishop Jackie can do some Greek, I could do some Greek. Because when you know some of the Greek, you're not going to do a a surface reading of a text. You're going to think about it deeply. You're going to study. You think, what did this mean in its context? I just loved hearing about the food groups. What does this mean in its context? And then how does it apply into my life and what is the Spirit saying to me? So if you go away feeling a little bit inspired to do a bit more study tonight, I would be delighted I think studying theology was one of the most exciting things I did for my faith. And I'd grown up in a church that basically was very suspicious of studying theology. Um, it was like, oh no, you start studying theology and it will, it, will, you know, it will distance you from Jesus. Absolutely not. I, had, I just loved studying theology. It brought me much closer to Jesus. Yes, I did go through a phase of thinking that I was a walking question mark. But that is a good thing. That is a good thing. So be transformed 
by the renewing of your minds. We've thought a bit about the conforming and the bumping up against culture. And maybe one of the questions that you might want to ponder is where in your life are you bumping up against a culture uh, and being molded into a shape that is not yours? Just, just think about that. You might not even have thought about this culture. It becomes it's such a natural thing. But to, to just think about the culture but then also to be transformed by the renewing of your minds. So, as Christians, it's this matching up of the outward and the inward in our behavior and in our beliefs. So, not being conformed to those externals, but being transformed, and our choice in that. Um, This is what's behind the tenses of those words that you have agency in this. You can choose not to be conformed, but to be transformed in our minds. My understanding of this kind of transformation is that sometimes there can be um, like a really sudden bright light about something and you see something, uh, something that's really transformational in a moment. But a lot of the transformation is that day by day, that day by day coming to God or that week by week coming to worship um, or the week by week going to the food group to study Bible together. And for me, it's about starting the day turning to Christ. So at that confirmation service that I was talking about earlier, One of the questions we ask is the question that's asked at baptism, do you turn to Christ? And the answer is, I turn to Christ. And that's an answer that's given in that moment, in that special service. But then I find it's it's a phrase I need to take to heart every day. That every, you might think, oh, well, she's a bishop. Of course, you know, these things sort of happen by some sort of automatic way. No. I have to decide every day to turn to Christ. Um, The temptation to sit down at my computer before I've said prayers is really strong, uh, but prayer comes first. So prayer first, and then uh, and reading of the Bible, and that is the turning to Christ. And I would suggest to you that if... If you haven't um, done this, you might think about, do you have a particular place where you pray? A particular chair, perhaps, that is your prayer chair. But somewhere where you go when you are in that place, or maybe it's lighting a candle. When you are in that place, this is your place of prayer. And then whether you are able to be there for half an hour, or whether you're only able to be there for five minutes, it's your mind and body intention to come to God's presence and to pray. And the reason for doing this according to Romans 12 2 is so that we may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. And I suppose I want to finish by saying that God, that Jesus tells us really what the will of God is. Uh, which is to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and body, our whole selves, to love God and to love 
our neighbor as ourselves. And if you are doing that, you are within God's will. You can love as much as you like. You can um, serve as much as you like. You can be as joyful as you like. These, there is no law against these things. This is our culture as Christians to love God and to love our neighbor how I would hope to be treated as if it were me. And then there are times when we might be seeking particular personal guidance and you may be in that place this evening as well you're thinking well actually I would like to know what God's will is for me this evening and God does speak to us and the Holy Spirit does come alongside us so I think to end with I want to keep with that thought of body mind spirit and heart, our whole selves being offered to God, our turning to Christ, not being conformed, but being transformed by the Holy Spirit. And just finish with telling you a story of two friends of mine who were ordained together. They were a married couple, they are a married couple, and they were ordained together at the same time. And they were being ordained in Sheffield Cathedral, this is quite a number of years ago, and at that time in Sheffield Cathedral, the bishop there, when um, people were coming to be ordained as clergy in the Church of England, um, they had the practice of those who were to be ordained at a point in the service to come and prostrate themselves on the floor before um, the bishop. And I remember, I knew this was going to happen, I thought this is a very odd practice don't really see what's going on here. This sounds very weird to me. But when it got to that moment, the bishop, very northern bishop, having heard all of the great promises that are made at ordination, absolutely enormous promises, and you hear all about people's support for you in these promises that you make, he then said, and now we come to the moment when they lay down their lives. And there are my friends lying on this stone-cold cathedral floor, and I knew they'd given their lives to Christ a long time before, and I knew that they were called beyond a doubt to serve God in this ministry. But to see them lying on that floor was just one of the holiest moments uh, that I've experienced in a church and where in fact rather than thinking this is very weird I felt like I want to go and lie there too I want to go and offer heart soul mind and body give my whole life to God so here we are this evening bringing our whole selves and maybe September is a good time to have a little bit of a reset to think about Offering, what does it mean to love him with body, mind, heart, and soul, and our neighbors as ourselves? Praying for that transformation and renewal day by day. Amen.